Mike, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. How's it going, man? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I enjoyed getting a jam with you a little offline before we came on here. And so I know our listeners are in for quite a show today. Uh, one of the things that I love about these conversations is how we talk about the things we learn in sports, the skills we build in sports translate so well to life. Sports is a training ground for our minds that prepare us to succeed in life outside of it. Tell me a little bit about your training ground and, and what fired you up to really make the transition from your previous career that we're going to get into until this one. Sure. So I would say, you know, for me, I was an athlete my whole life from the age of seven. I was competing in numerous sports, but at a very early age, I would say probably um, like eight or nine, I realized that wrestling was kind of the path that I was going to take. And I was good at everything, but I was great at that sport. And uh, my parents always had me in sports. I really enjoyed school. I enjoyed applying myself as a student of each of the sports that I was in. And year round, I was participating in every sport that would fit my athletic skill set. So fast forward, you know, wrestled and played multiple sports throughout high school, wrestled division one in college, graduated, uh, graduated with a degree in criminology, psychology and leadership. That led me into the FBI. And in the process of that, I started coaching wrestling. And in the process of coaching wrestling, I realized very quickly, this would have been, I guess, about like 2010 and very heavily realized this in about 2013, when I opened up my own wrestling academy, that the, the gap that we need in development for athletes has much less to do with their physical skills and much more to do with their psychological and heart skills. That's really where we have an issue with performance. I found myself finding it easy to teach the physical skills of wrestling, but not necessarily seeing those skills show themselves to their full potential consistently on the mat. And I'll say what really prompted me to shift my career was back in, I think like 2013, I had 13 kids in the state finals, nine should have won on paper, five just completely did not show up. I had four do really well, five did not show up. So obviously like the message was heard, they were coached and they knew exactly what they needed to do. You know, being a hostage negotiator, if I can't get inside your kid's head, like what am I missing? And what I realized is that I was giving really good advice, but there was no system and process behind it. So long story short, from an athlete to a coach, to having success at a high level and then having to realize like, wow, the, you, you can't really predict the way that these kids are going to show up, even though they have all the skills. And I don't know about you, parallel that I realized very quickly is if this was our day job, you can't do well one day and bad another day because then you get fired. So if you want consistent thoughts, I, I realize if you want consistent performances, you need consistent thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. And that's what I realized that these athletes weren't getting. So long and short from an athlete to a coach to then realizing in the, in the sports and professional world, mindset and, you know, courage, vulnerability, gratitude, heart is, was essentially what we were missing. And that was an aspect of the game that was just not taught. It was casually learned. And we're in a generation where that's the most important skill that we can have, not strength, speed, and technique. So there's a couple of things there I want to, I want to hit on the, one of the ones toward the end, you mentioned about just as we agreed, if work, we have a really good day, really bad day, really good day, really bad day, we would get fired. The question becomes most people, I would say, 
try to fly so far below the radar that there's no there's no chance of having a really good day. And so therefore they don't have those really bad days. 100%. They, they kind of do it. And, and will we say we do that more of comfort because we're, we're afraid to stand out or uh, mentally we haven't been prepared to overcome setbacks and failures and be a little more even kill. So we try to just fly as close under the radar as we can. I think it's both. I think the person that I've enjoyed studying the most over the last two years has been Brene Brown and you know her concept of you know, strength is not measured how tough you are but your willingness to be vulnerable this generation especially like uh, i would say between the ages of like you know youth through 35 we're not willing to be vulnerable so to have a really good day means that now those are our expectations so our bosses and our peers expect us to perform that way. So a lot of people, I never saw this growing up. I don't know about you, but I never saw this growing up. You know, we were always chasing greatness and continue to push that needle. Now people almost don't want to see how great they could be because they don't want to be held to that expectations. And, you know, on the, on the flip side, like you said, you know, people don't want to show um, how good they can be. So by flying under the radar, there's just, there's, there's no, there's no uh, worry of expectations. There's no ups and downs. You just kind of, you just kind of fly by the wayside. So point being is that people aren't willing to be vulnerable, you know, showing up, giving a full effort, not understanding that, uh, uh, understanding that they cannot predict the result. So we have this generational gap of desire to succeed and continue to push the envelope versus desire to kind of maintain the status quo and not feel discomfort. Like you said, we don't have the coping mechanisms and the resiliency really more than anything to deal with the ups and downs. So we'd rather under, we'd rather casually underperform and, you know, without raising any red flags than overperform and risk, you know, the vulnerability of having to face those obstacles and those expectations. I love that. I love that. One of the things I just heard recently uh, from NFL, Larry Fitzgerald, future Hall of Famer, he talked about his coaches, one of the best thing his coaches did. And I, and I don't remember if it was Denny Green or one of his other early coaches, but the first time he made a Pro Bowl, the coach came up and said, great, now we know what your standard is. How are you going to meet it every year? Like it was no more just be a one-time pro bowler. Like this is your deal. You want to be pro bowler, all pro every year. That's the minimum standard we expect of you because we've we done the it. opposite in society. Now we've yeah. lowered the standard and lowered the standard. I remember uh, Carlos Mencia uh, prior to him getting caught stealing all his jokes. He was uh, essentially making a joke on how in society we've in school, lower the standard, lower the standard. Parents have lowered the standard, lower the standard, lower the standard. So we have this society where we've lowered the standard so much and versus elite people, you know, you talk about competing every day and not just sports, but in life, there's such a degree of separation now between uh, everyone versus back in the day, 90% of everyone was looking to perform. 10% were kind of lazy. Now 90% are kind of lazy and not willing to be vulnerable, but only 10% of us are willing to challenge ourselves. Well, and, and it's crazy. You think about the last two generations prior to us, uh, at a young age, you were a lot of times getting drafted and sent off to war. Right. And 100%. yeah. And so the amount of challenges you were going to face most likely before the age of 21 uh, for a lot of young men, especially was going to be massive. And now, like you said, we've lowered the standard of the challenges we want children to face because we want to make them feel better. 
instead of mm-hmm. understanding like they need to fail, they need to butt up against challenges and they need to learn not to cower in front of them, but learn how to rise up and conquer them. Otherwise they're screwed later in life. And the people that they give their kids a challenge, either from the environment that they're forced to grow up in or the parents who voluntarily put their kids in sports and other opportunities that are going to challenge them. Those kids are going to have a long-term advantage and it, they may not feel as good in, in the moment, but over the course of their life, they're going to have more of that resiliency. And so, man, I, lo- I love that. I could rant on that all day long with you. And I know as someone who's, who's coaching coaches and, and working with athletes, uh, the opportunity to sharpen all of them is, is phenomenal. One of the things I'm curious about with yours is having had success as an athlete, high school, college, and then you make the transition. And let me set that up. You're in an individual sport wrestling. It's you versus your opponent on the mat. Most of the time, it's literally everything's what am I doing? What's in my control going into, as you mentioned it in the FBI and hostage negotiation. And, and you're working with a lot of unknown variables sometimes, and you're working with, you know, you're not always in full control. You're working to be in control of situations. How did the things you learned as a wrestler help you for some of those high pressure situations that, you know, we're wrestling on the mat a lot of times in high school, we think this is life or death, but what you did with in the FBI was truly life or death situations. You're, you're, you're hitting on so many things that are, that are getting all my butterflies going. So uh, let, me, let me address a couple of things. So pre, one of the things you had just said was we would put our kids into sports to teach them this resiliency, these life lessons, okay? Prior sports, life just taught you those things. Generations ago, life was hard. Things were difficult, right? Back when we were kids, if we wanted to find an answer, we had to go to the index of the encyclopedia, <laughs> flip and find a book. And then if we didn't know that question, we went down our phone di- our, our <laughs> phone Rolodex and called yeah. people up and asked questions. Then all of a sudden, we got a, an encyclopedia on our computer. More of the story, you know, now kids have a touch of a phone and can find out an immediate answer. So neither, neither there nor here. Uh, previously, life is what taught people resiliency. Then we were intentionally putting our kids into sports so that they can casually learn these life lessons. Well, now coaches in college are saying that they're inheriting middle school level coping mechanisms because what's happening is we've lowered the standards so much that we can no longer casually teach these life lessons. They must be intentionally taught. And that's why we as you know, coaches in this type of industry, mindset has taken off in the last 20 years because this is the missing link to performance in sports and also in life. To answer your question about how things in sports prepared me for my career, wrestling casually and intentionally taught me everything. I'd say 80% of who I am is because of that sport and the people around it to include my support system from my parents to my teammates to my coaches. I give the example all the time. And I was just at a huge camp in Michigan with about 300 kids. And I said, you guys are sitting here nervous that you're going to make a mistake in your match. You think that because this kid is good, you feel like you can't make a mistake. So you wrestle cautious and hesitant. What's the worst that's going to happen if you take a chance and it doesn't work out? You get two points scored on you. How many of you have been down by two, down by four, down by six? Plenty. Okay, when I was in the FBI and I'm either doing hostage negotiation or doing national security surveillance and multi-million dollar cases and big things are going on, I make a mistake, I blow a case. I make a mistake, somebody dies. So all of you are sitting here sweating bullets worried about making a mistake in a wrestling match in a sport that you like to do versus I make a mistake at 23 years old in a situation that realistically I'm not that prepared for on paper, but 
by focusing on what I can control, it's a lot easier for me to manage that situation. Moral of the story is that what I keep telling people is that like, I make a mistake, someone dies, but I could stay calm. You are so stressed about making a mistake that you don't even shoot for five minutes because you're scared that you might get scored on. So the biggest things that wrestling taught me was ultimately what allowed me to be successful even in my interview, right? Wrestling taught me, I can't worry about my opponent. I have to focus on myself, no matter what his moves are, how good he is, his record. I can't control it, but I can control like my effort and the attitude that I bring. So when I interviewed for the FBI, I was interviewing against doctors, lawyers, rocket scientists, detectives. I'm a 22 year old college grad. If you wanna look at my resume and we compare resumes, like, I mean, my resume is pretty damn good, but not like theirs. But I focused on how well I interviewed, not whether or not, uh, not who I was competing against. So those things that sports casually or intentionally taught us, that's what makes us successful in our career. And other things that I can remember that really helped me was being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Wrestling, especially as a sport that taught so much of that. And I remember times where we were, you know, on super long operations where I was in a, no joke, I was in a 110 degree weather I was in a van that was gutted out with a bunch of video equipment. I had to take, it was a very high pressure situation. I had to get these photos of this guy that was coming home. Big deal. Um, he did some things that set off some red flags and they were like, Mike, I need you to get there early, bring the van and I need you to get photos. Well, mind you, it's 110 degrees. I had to shut off the car and turn on the silent generator. No AC. So it's 110 degrees in this van and not only do I have to perform, I have to not pass out and I forgot my water. So thankfully I've been through way worse in wrestling where I had to lose 14 pounds. I was about to say cutting days, weight. <laughs> cutting weight and I'm like, man, I'm at home. But I'm thinking, sitting here thinking to myself, I can't imagine another human being that has not cut weight or been through that level of discomfort. I was excited. Like I had goosebumps, I'm like, let's go, you know? and. I liked all eyes on me. Sports taught me that. And so I liked having that opportunity, like watch me work, watch me get these photos, watch me where everyone else would probably pass out and die. I'm going to be fine. And to be honest, I'm excited. I'm going to lose four pounds. I'm going to look good tonight when I go out. Did you, do you remember like a, a specific moment in your life where you understood the focus and the intentionality of focusing on yourself and what you control, or was it more of a gradual learning experience growing up? say growing up, it was a gradual learning experience, but I definitely remember getting to the point where, you know, I wasn't just competitive, but I was like one of the guys to beat. So no one ever taught us these things. We had some casual conversations, but because of my coping skills growing up in, you know, the early 2000s in the 90s, my coping skills were high because I felt like my parents raised me well. They didn't make things easy, but we just grew up in more difficult times. Um, I was hungry to learn the tough lessons in sports. So being able to be in those situations, um, repeat your question one more time so I make sure I answer correctly. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. Uh, what I was curious about is if there was a specific moment where you just ah, you remember moment. thinking, yeah, ver yes. me versus me. Yeah, so... You know, I can't necessarily pinpoint a specific moment, but I, I would say my junior year of high school is when things started to shift. That's when I realized that 
I never really cared who I was wrestling. I was excited to wrestle somebody good. And, um, you know, I was just ready to do my job. If I was wrestling somebody that wasn't at my level, I always wanted to perform, but I realized about my junior year, it was more so about being really intentional with everything that I did intentional with my training, intentional with the camps that I chose intentional with the practices that I was at. And I would say, getting ready to compete in what we call the county finals. You have to win that to go to the state tournament. You know, that season, that postseason, that was when I realized that the few losses that I had, I lost because I beat myself. Not because I broke or that I was weak. I was so worried about the other guy. You know, there was this one guy that had beaten me three times in the same year. I was up and then he would come back. And I'm so focused on not getting caught in his, in his stuff that I didn't get to mine. Another guy that I lost to, um, I had to bump up a weight class to wrestle this guy. And I, you know, I was chasing this good competition. I was so caught up in like, man, these guys bigger than me versus like I've beaten bigger guys before. So I think that's when I really shifted the way that I thought. And to be honest, and those shoes are behind me are a testament to that. That's when I saw a movie about Steve Prefontaine and Yeah. And he was really my biggest inspiration as an athlete. So, you know, not just from the way that he competed and the quotes that he had, but just the way that he was, I I would say not just the quotes that he had in his career, the way that he approached competition changed the way that I thought. So junior year of high school, seeing that movie without limits, that really made me into that like next level of competitor. And I actually named my first wrestling club without limits based on that movie. And I feel like it wasn't just a movie. It wasn't just some quotes. Those became like my foundational staples for how I competed every day in life. Love it. I love it. I want to fast forward a little bit to you working with the clubs and, and coaching athletes. And, and one of the things you mentioned earlier is the athletes, your trip to state when you, you had five that just did not perform. And for a lot of our listeners that are, you know, past sports, they, they remember those mates, those individuals where it was just like, you have so much talent, physical talent, mentally, you don't bring it. And, and it's so frustrating to see that. And as yep. they get into management leadership roles, they have the same thing. They see incredibly talented employees that just don't bring it. Yeah. And most people see that they consider, well, this is their problem. They're just not a fit here versus what I would imagine your perspective is, is I've got to teach this in a new way that they get it. How do we learn to adapt and find those people that, man, we need to invest in you. And, and this is on us to invest in you and you to eventually right. use it versus this person has no desire whatsoever to tap into that. And, and that's one of those we need to get away from. So what's the question there? I didn't so the question. what? when do we, It's a, sorry, my apologies on that. When do we identify or how do we identify the people that ah. need to be invested in because they have the potential, we yes. just haven't taught it the right way versus great. the ones who great have question. the potential that they don't want to use it? Yeah, great, great question. I think it's the intangibles. As coaches, especially younger coaches, you get caught up in coaching the good kids, right? Because you can, you can get good kids great a lot easier than you can get average kids good or that you can get the the not so good kids with the new kids to that next level. So what you need to invest in is the intangibles. So obviously as a coach, you know, particularly for me, I was a club coach, right? So I have to have a balance between uh, having kids that do have some level of skill and talent and who have the intangibles of like they're coachable, they're willing to give a full effort, uh, they have a great consistent attitude and 
they have an open mind to where they're willing to do what you say, whether that's extra, whether that's early, whether that's do things differently than what they're comfortable with. Those are the intangibles that we need to invest in. So start with those first and then tier your level of attention to, you know, that's where we bring in talent. That's when we bring in accessibility. There are certain kids I'd love to coach, but they're not available. There are certain kids that I'd love to coach that have all the talent, but they don't have those intangibles. I don't care how talented that kid is. You can't take them very far if they don't have those very simple intangibles. So I know for me, my favorite age right now to coach that I've learned over you know, the last 17 years of coaching is middle school. Middle school. Um, and also I would say, professional athletes, professional athletes. Hey, you tell me what I need to do to get better. I've got the skills. I need to close the gap or widen the gap. You tell me what I need to do. I'm going to do it. Love that. On a high school and below level, I love the middle school age. They're young enough to be impressionable where they still are required in their mind to respect you and listen. Uh, They lack the ego, uh, but they're old enough to really understand what it is that you're trying to get across when it comes to mindset, when it comes to heart, because it's hard uh, to intentionally train a seven, eight year old, they, they, it kind of takes time to build that in them, but a middle schooler, you could take them and make them great quickly. Women also, they're highly emotionally intelligent. So guys, a lot of guys don't necessarily enjoy coaching women. I love coaching women, especially smart girls. So things to invest in the intangibles that like willingness to give a full effort, that consistent attitude, coachability, that has to be met first. And then you hope you find somebody that's got skills that make your job a little bit easier versus somebody that's completely unathletic, that really struggles to put one foot in front of the other. But those, those intangibles is what makes a champion, not those physical skills, especially nowadays. Nowadays, for sure. And, and one of the things you just hit on there is coachability. And, and as we talked offline, you are passionate about the importance of coaches having coaches. Talk to me a little bit about that, because for a lot of us, we get to a certain level, we get to a certain Mm -hmm. position in our career, a certain title, and we think we're supposed to have it all together. And if we have a coach, one, that may look bad on us that we don't, you know, we're not qualified for this, but two, we get a little arrogant that there's not more to learn. Talk, talk to me about your philosophy on that, because I I 100% believe in it and, and support it as well. I really love every question that you've asked. It hits on a lot of things that I talk about and The reality here is that unless you improvise, adapt and evolve, you'll learn painful lessons from people that have. So that's a continuous process. We hear that, but why don't we do that? We focus on our ego and what other people will think by us, me as a coach, hiring another coach. So for me as a, as one of the uh, leaders in the performance industry for wrestling and MMA, higher level coaches sometimes feel like, oh, we should already be good at this. Like my kids are high level athletes. Same with athletes. I, I already know this. I don't have any problems. We don't have to be sick to want to get better. So realistically, the best athletes and coaches, they should be addicted to self-improvement. So you can only do so much for yourself. And in wrestling, Penn State won eight out of nine straight national titles. And they essentially just completely turn the industry on its head and trying to f- scratch our head and figure out what they're doing different. Nobody caught them for years because nobody was willing to change what they were doing. They just kept applying the same formula, expecting a different result. I say that all to say, I, I'm close friends with one of the, uh, the youngest brother in that family, uh, the, uh, Kale Sanderson's youngest brother, Kyler. And that entire family will constantly ask questions. Kale Sanderson is arguably the greatest 
college coach of all time. And his assistants will tell you all the time, Kale consistently asks us for advice. He consistently asks us for approval and our opinion. And he seeks out resources to get the guys better because he wants to push the needle, not ever make it feel like he knows it all. Because as soon as you get complacent and feel like you've, you have um, figured it all out, you know, as well as I do, that's as soon as somebody that hasn't stopped working comes and passes you by. So more of the story is that no matter what level you're at, you may be very good at some things, but someone else is an expert in something else, right? You may be really good at social media, but there's a coach that that's all they specialize in. You may be a division one college coach that's done an exceptional job of building athletes, but this is all I focus on is this side of the game. You understand like what coaches, when they get coaches, whatever you're getting coached in, that coach has a system, hopefully, right? It's not just advice. That coach has a system and a process to guarantee results. When you plug a goal into a system, you're guaranteed results. Unfortunately, a lot of coaches just give really great advice. There's no process behind it. So I, I, I wrap all that up to say, one of the reasons why I feel like I've gotten to work with a lot of top tier athletes and you know top 10 teams, number one ranked kids of the country, number one ranked fighters in the world, stuff like that is because they realize that they need to have some sort of system and process to either close the gap or widen the gap. Otherwise, they're just working hard without necessarily a very strong direction. So I know some of the top coaches that I've gotten to work with, people look at like, why would that guy hire you? Like he's already very successful. He's very successful at a lot of things, but he doesn't have a process behind this particular set of the sport, which is very, very important. So I have no problem. Like, it's never an issue convincing most of the top tier. It's the people in the middle that struggle with their ego, that they know it all, that struggle wanting to get a coach. You should be addicted to getting better, not feel like you've already figured it out. I love it. I love it. And and for those listening that you have the natural inclination to, to listen to the excuse, well, you know, I, coaches are really expensive and, and I don't have some of those funds right now. You mentioned it right now. Like, how are you out seeking books? How are you listening to Wrestling Mind Pod, Mindset Podcast? How are you devouring information to get better, to improve your position, and then hiring that coach when you've built that financial opportunity or sometimes stretching yourself to make it happen and, and figuring out where you're going to save in other areas? Uh, so money, I, don't make money. That's right. I love that. I absolutely, absolutely love that. And, and we're right aligned with it because, uh, you know, you've got to have the idea that there's always something to learn and get better. And, and I mentioned it here on the show before, but Adam Grant's book, Think Again, was has been one of the better books I've read this year about that. Constantly being curious, the power of knowing what you don't know. And, and right. unlike, oh man, yeah, Adam Grant, Think Again, it's a phenomenal book. Um, but really, you know, we get caught in every, you know, a lot of people do when you give into the ego, you you lie, you fluff, you, you try to act like you know it all and, and great leaders stay curious and stay humble and say, what can I learn? How can I get better? Where's something I can apply? I'm not arrived. I'm in the process of becoming, and that's just a game changer. You, you've talked about it. It's a game changer for coaches. It's a game changer in life. Uh, man, this has been a lot of fun. Mike, you have an incredible podcast. You've got coaching programs, man. You've got a ton of stuff going on. One, where can listeners dive into your content because one, that's how we connected is because I came across your show um, and would love to find out how they can not only get plugged into your content, but find out more about the programs you offer. Sure. So you can find me 
uh, at mindset underscore Mike, mindset Mike, not hard to find me. I spend most of my time primarily on Instagram. Uh, that's my uh, primary uh, place of posting resources as well as Facebook. You can find information on the company at zwinningmindset.com. If there's anyone in the wrestling community, obviously wrestlingmindset.com as well, but Z Winning Mindset is where you can find all of our sports specific and business specific uh, mental training coaching platforms. You know, it's essentially a combination of uh, sport or subject specific mindset training exercises and mentorship from a coach in that field. So made for athletes in that sport, by athletes in that sport, made for people in the sales community, by people in the sales community, because we realized, you know, everything that we do is 90% mental, but we spend 100% of our time training those physical skills. You could also find uh, information, obviously, with regards to any podcast that I've personally done. If you go to the podcast app, you can search for my name, Mindset Mike, as well as any of the wrestling mindset podcasts, even if you're not a wrestler, there's hundreds of pieces of content that, like you said, and I love the way you said it, uh, you said training grounds. Uh, we, I always say sports is a vehicle for life and yep. life is a vehicle for sports. So there's lots of uh, short content specific podcasts that we've done. In addition to that, there's also numerous interviews that I've done with top, top tier athletes and coaches that give you an idea of how you can better yourself. One particular, there's one I would I would single out. Kale's brother Kyler and I did a podcast on essentially how they've weaponized the concept of gratitude, and that's why Penn State's been successful for so many years. I love it. I love it. That that just rings true as a theme we've had on the show this year, especially and the power of gratitude, especially when it comes to performance. Something that. Uh, I don't think a lot of us thought about. We a lot of times come at it from a fear-based perspective and and what that ruins from a performance side to that gratitude piece. So I love it. Listeners will be linking to all of that in the show notes. But uh, as he mentioned, even if you're not a wrestler, even if you've nothing to do with wrestling, there's some amazing content in there that will help build your mindset so you can better perform in life. Mindset Mike, man, this has been a ton of fun. Thanks for joining the show this week. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it.